Uh, I love that, um, that line, uh, that you would do, what is it, only, you would do only what you can do. When you do what only you can do. You know, there's been this um, idea in my mind for a lot of years as I've ministered uh, the gospel and as a pastor is, Lord, I'll do everything that I can do. Um, I will, you know, roll out tables, you know, set the chairs, bring in the taco truck, you know, go to Costco and buy the drinks, set the table, like gather people in, prepare to teach the word, teach the word. I'll do everything that I can do to minister to your people, but God, you have to do what only you can do. And that is um, really what I rest upon when I sit there and I worship. I'm, I'm saying, Lord, I want you to speak. Holy Spirit, I want you to speak through your living word as your servant, your unprofitable servant. Would you just use me to speak to your people today? But I would just pray that we would all have ears to hear what the Spirit is speaking. Amen? Amen. I love my little son back there who's one year old. Yep. Excellent. So Knox just turned one today, so that, that makes me a happy father. So happy birthday, bud. Well, we've got a great uh, study ahead of us. Uh, we have one more week of this, but tonight we are going to be talking about the subject of spiritual gifts. And hopefully some questions are going to be answered for you along the way. Uh, maybe questions like, what are spiritual gifts? How are they given? Who has them? How do I know what my spiritual gift is? Um, maybe a question is like, what is the purpose of spiritual gifts in the church? And I'm sure we're going to get some clarity about things uh, along the way. So if you would, turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is the place that you want to go to if you want to get a uh, full instruction on spiritual gifts. It's, it's the place to go. There's other scriptures, but this is, this is just like the bread and the butter of spiritual gifts. And so as you're turning there to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, let me give some contextual background as far as what was going on in the church of Corinth. You know, this church had their fair share of issues. And Paul was writing to them in order to correct problems that they were having uh, because these people, although they were Christians, they were born again, they were thinking and they were living in the flesh. Paul says in chapter 3 of Corinthians that they were behaving like mere men and women. And as Christians who are born again by the Spirit of God, they were supposed to be spiritual people. That is, they were supposed to be behaving, be behaving like godly people. But again, they were found living and thinking like mere men and women. They were dividing against one another. That was a huge issue dealt with in the first couple chapters. They were suing each other, taking each other to the court. They were proud about their sexual sin. They had disorder. They had dysfunction in their gatherings and many other things going on in that church that were unfit for the church of Jesus Christ. And so... We need to understand something, though, that although there were a lot of issues in this church and they, they needed to be corrected, this church actually experienced some powerful works of God in their midst. Powerful experiences with God was something that happened on the regular in the church of Corinth. But the problem was is that their spiritual experiences, their spirituality was being muddled with carnality. 
The works of their flesh were getting in the way of the work of the Spirit. And guys, let, let's not let that be so among us, amen? Let's not be a people who would have great spiritual experiences with God, but then we go around messing around with the world and with the flesh. But would we be a people, and, and for me as a pastor, for some years now I've been pastoring since I was in my early 20s, uh, 21 years old is when I started as a pastor. I'm 34, by the way, now, if anyone was wondering. A lot of people keep asking my age recently. I'm just going to put it out there. I'm 34. <laughs> Last year was awesome because I was 33, and I used to say I'm the same age as when your Savior died for you. So, But in my walk with Jesus, I have definitely had some spiritual experiences with God, and I'm sure you have too. As you walk with God, you experience God, but what doesn't impress me as much anymore like it used to, I'm not so much impressed with these, you know, supernatural experiences that might take place in a person's life, like some flash in the pan moment where they really encounter God. What impresses me more is the long and faithful, true and tested character in a believer's life. That impresses me. When somebody has been walking with Jesus for a really long time, I hope that we would have many spiritual experiences along the way with that, but that we have been long and faithful with Jesus. But don't get me wrong, I love when people get to experience the power of God. I love to see when people encounter his presence, his power, when miracles happen, when there's these supernatural moments where we just have to say, wow, God's working, right? But what I really love, and I think what the Holy Spirit loves, just even in his name, Holy Spirit, I think what he loves is when we walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called, that we would live holy lives by the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit, amen? And so I just think that's important because in the context of what Paul's talking about, it's really important that we would live holy lives, that we would be a, a place where God would be pleased to dwell, pleased to meet us and pleased to move. And so they had very amazing spiritual experiences, but Paul knew that they could do better in their character, in their conduct. And so when we get to chapter 12, we find Paul instructing the Corinthians on their worship services, how they were to conduct themselves when they came together as the body of believers. He tells them that they need to have unity and love. They need to have order. They, they need to be thinking about each other and not being against each other. Which just brings up a, a, another point, I think, which is, let's be honest, a lot of times when we think about church, we think about our spiritual experience with God. And we can become too individualistic, right? Um, we think, what did I get out of that teaching? How did I feel during that time of worship? Maybe it's who said hello to me, who didn't say hello to me, or the coffee wasn't hot enough, right? I actually hear we have pretty good coffee here. People like it. It's Kirkland from Costco. No secret, just Kirkland coffee from Costco. Um, but much of our experiences in church, they can become self-focused. What am I gonna get out of this? Now, it's not wrong to consider our own self-needs when we come to church. We all need to be ministered to when we come to church, but there also needs to be a focus on one another. We also need to be ones who will minister to other people's needs. And I would reason 
that coming to church has more to do with what you can do for others than what can be done for you. See, what if we all had this thinking when we came to church that we came thinking, what might someone else experience of God today? And how can I help to make that happen? What if when we came on Sundays, our first thought was not, what will I get out of this? But what will I give into this? I'm telling you the truth, that if you think this way, if you change your thinking on that, it's gonna be a game changer for how we experience God in church, which segues segues right into our conversation about spiritual gifts because spiritual gifts are meant for the building up of the body of Christ, the church. So let me give you a working definition on spiritual gifts right now. How about this one? In Christianity, spiritual gifts are endowments of extraordinary power given by the Holy Spirit. These are supernatural graces which individual Christians need to fulfill the mission of the church. Not bad, Wikipedia. (laughs) That is a definition pulled from Wikipedia. Googled, what are spiritual gifts? That's one of the hits. Now, I just say that because what I wanna make sure we don't do, and can be, let me explain it. I I don't think that it's wrong to explore, you know, Christian doctrine on the internet, to go on websites and to find out um, more helps on the word of God, but I think it's important, especially on topics such as spiritual gifts, that we ask the Holy Spirit to help us rightly divide his word, that we would go to the Bible first and foremost when we wanna understand spiritual gifts or any doctrine for that matter. Because look, you can find helpful things on the internet, but you can also find a lot of unhelpful things on the internet if anyone didn't know that. (laughs) And, And so I'm gonna tweak our Wikipedia definition a little bit and I wanna give a simple definition. How about this? A spiritual gift is a supernatural ability freely given to a Christian by the Holy Spirit. And it's for the purpose of building up the body of Christ, the church. So let's explore what that is. And you know, when defining something, it's sometimes helpful to, to define what something's not. What, what are spiritual gifts? Maybe we should ask, what are they not? Spiritual gifts are not merely a person's character or personality. Spiritual gifts are not even a person's raw talents and skills. Spiritual gifts are not just our simple natural abilities. Your natural qualities and abilities, they may play into what you end up receiving as a spiritual gift, or it may not. But spiritual gifting goes beyond that. Spiritual gifting goes beyond our natural qualities and abilities because they are supernatural abilities. They come from the Holy Spirit. And so the Bible instructs us on what these gifts are and how they're to function in our lives and in the life of the church. So Paul teaches the Corinthian church about spiritual gifts from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. You know what's in the middle there, right? Love so important if I could even just pause for a second in the middle of this message. We have no business talking about spiritual gifts if we're not loving one another. No business talking about it. But I'll tell you this, as a church, I think we excel in love. 
I see it, I experience it, but I, I encourage you, as Paul encouraged the church in Thessalonia, excel even more. Let's keep loving each other and let's keep loving God. And I think when that happens, that is the atmosphere that God is pleased to pour out his spirit and he's pleased to lavish his gifts upon the church. Amen? Amen. So um, for more study on spiritual gifts, you could look at Romans 12, 1 Peter chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, but tonight we're going to look at verses 1 through 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So starting off, it says this in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, oh good, (laughs) right? Seems pretty plain from the text what Paul is going to talk about right now. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts. Now, there's no guesswork here as to what he's gonna talk about. He uses that word spiritual gifts. It's the word pneumatikos, and it can actually be translated just simply spirituals. Now concerning spirituals. Now, spiritual gifts gives us a little bit clarity of what he's actually talking about, but there's another word in the New Testament beyond the word used there that is used to refer to spiritual gifts, and it's the word charismata. It's maybe where you've heard in the root word charismatic, right? Charismata literally means grace gifts. So with either word that is used, pneumatikos or charismata, Paul is talking about the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to believers, And these gifts of the Holy Spirit are given to the church according to the will of the Spirit. They're gifts of His grace, which is the way that God relates to His people through the sacrificial work of Jesus. He shows you grace, and through grace, He gives you gifts. Now, I really love that word charismatic, grace, gifts, because what is grace? Grace often is described as the unmerited favor of God free blessings from God. Therefore, when we think about spiritual gifts, we have to understand that we don't earn spiritual gifts. In the same way that we don't earn anything that comes by grace, it's, it's freely given. So if we're freely given the gifts, then they're to be freely received. There's not gonna be any bargaining with God when it comes to spiritual gifts. Uh, they're not, as I like to p- consider, little Awana badges on your vest that the more you have, the more spiritual you are. See, God, out of his own generous love, will bestow gifts upon us as his children, and we are just to simply receive those gifts as a child would receive a gift from their loving parents. He freely gives it. So, so we shouldn't think about spiritual gifts in any sense of earning something. Merit badges. The more spiritual gifts you have, the more... God likes you. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. So what are we talking about? We're talking about spiritual gifts, and he says, now concerning these brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed, or as the New King James Version says, I do not want you to be ignorant. (laughs) Now, there's three things in the New Testament that Paul says not to be ignorant of. The three things are spiritual gifts, God's plan for Israel, and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, aren't those often the three things that the church is ignorant of a lot of times? And so ignorance concerning spiritual gifts can be corrected by looking at the scriptures. But ignorance often comes in these two extremes. You know, the, often the reason, the first reason 
that somebody is ignorant or uninformed. I like the word uninformed. It's a little lighter, right? Ignorant just sounds mean. But it's not. Paul's not, you're stupid. He's not saying that. Like, he's just saying you're uninformed. The first extreme is you've just never been taught concerning spiritual gifts. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to inform you using the word of God to understand that spiritual gifts are uniquely inspired um, endowments, gifts, things that God gives to you so that you can use them for the glory of the church. So listen to this teaching tonight to hopefully inform you. But the other extreme that we can fall into is that we end up having a lot of misguided ideas concerning spiritual gifts. And in the history of the church, what we've seen is that a lot of times people will pick up practices and traditions along the way when it comes to things of spiritual gifts. And we can become superstitious in our thinking when it comes to spiritual gifts. And rather than following the directives of scripture to follow how these are to be used, people end up following the ideas or the practices of their traditions or their denominations rather than looking to the word of God to, to prescribe how they're to be used. And this is where you often see distractions happen. This is where you see even abuses of spiritual gifts happen. This is where you find confusion in the church is because there's sometimes misguided beliefs and practices concerning gifts. So whether you're, you being uninformed in spiritual gifts comes from you've just never been taught or another extreme, you've just been taught a lot of wrong things, what we wanna to do tonight is look to the word of God to be informed. So look at verse two. It says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. See, what the Apostle Paul does here is he brings up the Corinthians past when speaking about spiritual gifts, and he's saying, this is different from the way that you used to live. See, many of the Corinthian Christians were living, prior to this, living in idolatry, living in false worship, and, and some of that false worship had counterfeit power to it. And Paul's telling them that the power of God is very different than any kind of power that you might have seen in your past. And maybe in your past, even as the word of God is speaking to you today, maybe you have in the past been led by superstitions or even incantations or led by sensuality. That, that's not what the gifts of the Holy Spirit are like. And many people, what they wanna do is they wanna put the gifts of the Spirit into some sort of same category as you know, magical incantations or even uh, what we see a lot today, new age energy. And it's not the same. These gifts come from the Holy Spirit and are entirely different than a lot of the counterfeit power that we see in our world today. And this brings up a good point here is that as Paul is speaking to these Christians about their past, he's speaking to us about our past, about our lives prior to being Christians. He's saying we need to be careful about something. We need to be careful not to let our past lives influence our thinking as born-again believers. And I've seen this come to play in two main areas in the church 
two dominant thinkings that I think a lot of people find in their past experiences before they come to the Word of God. And I would categorize these two ways of thinking in really two dominant mindsets. And even like people who aren't Christians would categorize sort of the the world in these two streams of thinking. There is the Eastern mindsets and there is the Western mindsets. And an Eastern mindset is more of a superstitious thinking. Whereas the Western mindset is more based on naturalism. And as Christians, we need to understand that we live in two realms, right? There's a natural realm and there's a supernatural realm. And the best way for us to experience the Spirit of God is when we can hold in tension both the natural and the supernatural. And, and you can get unbalanced in your thinking when you think that everything is spiritual and you become superstitious. Or you can become unbalanced in your thinking where you think everything is based upon natural law and there's no room for anything spiritual or anything supernatural at all in your life. Does anyone say, yeah, I kind of see how people fall into those two categories. And, and, And I wouldn't even say it's like a striking of a balance. I would say it's an entirely new mindset where our mind gets renewed by the Spirit of God and we think the thoughts of God where it's neither superstition nor naturalism, but it's the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. You know, C.S. Lewis said that the devil would be happy if you were the materialist or the magician. Using those two categories of superstition or Nothing spiritual can happen at all. And then verse three we see, therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now I love this part and I think this is a linchpin to this teaching because what Paul is saying is there's a clear division between a believer and an unbeliever. And the distinction is settled in what they say about Jesus. Do you confess Jesus as Lord? That's the question. And if you don't confess Jesus as Lord, then you do not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, and therefore you cannot have the gifts of God bestowed upon you. But if you confess Jesus as Lord, then you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, and his grace has gifted you. The other thing that this verse highlights is the importance of Jesus when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember we said that one of the main works of the Holy Spirit is to point to Jesus. He's not about self-promotion. He's there to glorify and represent Jesus. I said, he's always saying, look at Jesus, look at Jesus. And so therefore, here's a way that we can test whether a spiritual gift is from the Holy Spirit is that it will always promote Jesus. You can tell the difference between true and false spiritual experiences by how they bring honor to Jesus. Make sense? You guys all good? Okay. Now let's look at verse four through six. It says, and that was just like background. Now we're gonna get into, okay, here's the gifts. This is setting the stage because I spent a lot of time on the front half talking about our thinking how we think about this stuff. Because I think when it comes, when, it's funny, because even as Ben Kai announced on Sunday that I was gonna be teaching on this, he said, this is a controversial subject, and I kinda sat there, I was like, 
Spiritual gifts does not need to be a controversial subject because if we're thinking biblically about it and then we're experiencing the biblical worldview and experience of God, then, then it's, there shouldn't be confusion, right? Amen? Amen. Then verse four through six says, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them in everyone. Now this verse tells us a couple of things. It tells us first that there's, there's variety. Speaking of the diverse nature of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And what we see here is that spiritual gifts all come from the same source. God is the source of all spiritual gifts. And, but here's the thing, just as you could say that God has never made two people alike, right? Look at our fingerprints. There's no two people that are alike. In the same way, there's no two people who have the same gifting that are exactly alike. You know, an example of this is the teaching gift in one person may look entirely different in another person. They both have the gift of teaching. It just looks and operates differently in different people's lives. So there's variety even within the individual gifts, and then there's all kinds of gifts that God bestows, and he loves that diversity. And when there's working together in that diversity, then you find unity. The other thing we see is that the gifts are sort of broken down into services and activities. Services refers to the standing offices or positions that are laid out for us in Ephesians chapter four. We'll get to those at the end of the message. And then the activities are these miraculous workings of God, these outpourings of the Holy Spirit that happen at a particular moment. We'll also talk about those. So there's diversity, right? But it all comes from God. Every spiritual gift from, comes from God. And we wanna make sure that our spiritual experiences are from God, amen? And then in verse seven, it says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Oh, this is a really good verse. Because what it does is it, it, it highlights three very important things about spiritual gifts. I'm gonna pull out the three words that, that bring understanding. The first one is each. Do you see that word, to each? That means that each one of us has at least one spiritual gift. Every single person in this room who calls upon the name of Jesus, if you confess Christ, you're a Christian, you have at least one spiritual gift. We'll talk more about that. Then the word manifestation. This is a big word, but it speaks about making something visible, making something known. And what the Spirit does when he gives gifts and then those gifts are used is that the Holy Spirit shines forth through your life and the Holy Spirit becomes manifest in his church. And then the third thing is it's for the common good, which is that the purpose for spiritual gifts is that it's for the good of everyone in the church. And we're gonna get more into that. Now we get to the list of gifts. You guys ready? I've been waiting for this, I know. Verses eight through 10. This is um, one of the longest lists of spiritual gifts in the Bible. It says, for to, the one, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit to another working of miracles, 
to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. And then verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, I want to touch on verse 11 before we go back to the list. I'm gonna end by highlighting a little something about each one of those gifts that's lifts there, but I wanna talk about verse 11. It says, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So how do we figure out? If, if each one of us has a gift, how do we figure out what that gift is? I'm gonna give you just some simple, practical ways you could figure that out. First, seek God. Don't even seek the gifts, per se, but seek the giver of the gifts to know what spiritual gift he has for you. Sometimes we get it backwards. We seek out spiritual gifts when really we should just seek the giver of the gifts. That makes sense, right? Then secondly, I also don't recommend that we would take spiritual gifts tests. Now that might be controversial to say, maybe you've taken a spiritual gift test and it's been helpful for you to figure out. That's fine, no worries. I'm not like dogmatic on this issue or anything. But the reason why I don't think we should take spiritual gift tests is because spiritual gifts are not aptitude tests. Remember, your spiritual gift is not your personality. It's not like Myers-Briggs. It's not like the Enneagram. Spiritual gifts is given by the Holy Spirit and he apportions to each one according to his will. And I've seen the most extroverted people be absolutely gifted with preaching and teaching and with evangelism. And just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you have the gift of generosity. You don't need to make a lot of money to have the gift of generosity. See, just because you have certain aptitudes doesn't mean that you have that spiritual gifts. It may play into it, that's fine, but we shouldn't rely solely on that. Then third, I think the best way for you to see how, what gift you have is to be in the church because that's where the gifts are to be used. And so let other people tell you what your gift is as you come and as the Holy Spirit manifests his gift through you as it's being used. But the only way that's gonna happen is if you get involved in the church. And we're gonna talk about how gifts grow with use and the way they grow is when we get involved in church. So find out what your gift is, know what your gift is, and then seek to use your gift in the church because to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. So your gift is not just for you. Your gift is for the benefit of all. Paul told Timothy, don't neglect the spiritual gift of God that is within you. And it's entirely possible for Christians to go through their entire church experience neglecting their gift and never letting it shine forth from them by the Spirit. So the practical application is that although the Holy Spirit decides what gift you get, you are responsible to recognize it and then use it. So each believer has a gift. No Christian lacks a gift at any time. 
we shouldn't remain in a place of ignorance or neglect. You know, one survey, and I don't really like looking at uh, church surveys, actually. You know, I get these, I see these church surveys, and some of them are helpful and telling, and you can make adjustments in the church, but um, you can make statistics say anything, right? And as a youth pastor, I used to have people telling me all the time, youth are leaving churches by droves, you know? And it's like, so I don't always look at statistics, but this one was at least interesting to me. Barna Research said 69% of churchgoers have heard about spiritual gifts, but do not know what their spiritual gift is. And if that's the case, that means that 69% of the church is inactive within the body of Christ. And that's a bummer, if that's true. But I don't think that's gonna be true at this church. Because we're talking about spiritual gifts. And you're not uninformed anymore. You just got informed that you have at least one gift, you need to discover it, and you need to use it. Amen? All right, so we're not the 69%. Now, my suggestion is that you would not seek a particular spiritual gift that you would like to possess, but you would seek to know the gift that you already possess, the one that the Holy Spirit gave to you when you believed. Know what you already have, operate in it, and then ask for more always asking for more power and more effectiveness to use your gift. A few other ways to know what your gift is is that you're gonna be drawn to it, you're gonna show interest in it, you're gonna experience success in it. Um, you know, um, I didn't realize I had a teaching gift until I taught a few times and then people said, hey, you can teach the Bible. And then I taught more and I taught more, but my first sermons were ain't any good at all. But, but there was a recognition over time as the Spirit was manifest that, okay, God has given this guy the gift to teach. So the point is, is you can know for sure that you have one spiritual gift. Amen? Now let's go through the gifts that are listed and see if any of these identify how you have been gifted. The first one is the utterance of wisdom, I prefer the translation, word of wisdom. He first mentions this give, gift, and wisdom, I like to say, is knowledge correctly applied. You know, um, uh, Chuck Smith used to say, knowledge is that black, that, that black animal with the stripe down its back is a skunk. Wisdom is keep your distance, right? So wisdom is not simply intelligence. There are many smart people who are not wise. Wisdom is the ability to give a correct course of action that will bring about good results, okay? So Jesus had words of wisdom. A lot of times when he spoke to the Pharisees, you know those times when he just said something that was just like a zinger, like just so good in the moment. Those are words of wisdom. Paul used the word of wisdom in his defense and, and as he would, again, also he would speak with just this amazing wisdom that just fits. And, and the way I like to think about this, have you ever been in a situation, and this has happened to me when I've been counseling people where you're saying something to somebody, maybe they're in a situation, they just need help and you're giving them a course of action, you're giving them some wisdom, and it's, these words are coming out of your mouth and you kind of, as they're coming out, you're like, this sounds really good. 
is this really coming from me? No, it's not. It's coming from the Holy Spirit. Like, because what I'm saying right now, like, is really, like, wise and good and helpful. And, and the person's like, oh, my goodness, what you just said right now was exactly what I needed to hear. And it's like, yeah, right? That's a word of wisdom. So we don't see the word of wisdom sort of like somebody in the corner of the church sits in the chair, I have the word of wisdom, come to me, right? It's like, that's not, wisdom, the words of wisdom operate when people are in situation where people need help, people need counsel, people need direction, that's when words of wisdom are in operation. So if you are gonna have that gift, you gotta get into people's business, you gotta get into life, you gotta get into the thick of stuff and then see that gift operate. The next gift is, does that gift make sense? No? Okay. The next gift is the word of knowledge. Now, again, knowledge isn't to excel in math, science, and history. You, it's not talking about that you're a living encyclopedia. That's not what Paul's talking about. What he's saying is the word of knowledge is a supernatural revelation of something that you couldn't possibly have known unless God had revealed it. Supernatural revelation, you couldn't know this information, you couldn't know this thing unless God had revealed it to you. This, for instance, happened in the book of Acts with Ananias and Sapphira, remember? Those people, right? Peter, they walked in and they had seen Barnabas, how he sold this property and brought all the money and gave it to the church and they're like, we wanna do something like that. So they go and sell a piece of property and they come and bring the money to the church but what they did is they secretly held back a portion of the money and then they came to the church and said, we just sold a piece of property, we're giving you all the money. But they were lying. They actually held some back for themselves which was totally fine for them to do if they wanted to do that but they were lying in order to sound more spiritually superior. And so Peter got a word of knowledge. He had information, knowledge from God that he couldn't have otherwise known unless the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. And he says, why have you lied to God? Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Was it not yours? You could have just, you could have held back the money. It would have been fine, but you've lied. And then you know what happened, right? Paul received a word of knowledge when there was a, Uh, a shipwreck that was about to happen and there was gonna be a suffering loss and he was able to divert the disaster. So it's supernatural knowledge that has been revealed by the Lord. Now, I understand how this one can be sort of interesting because it sort of operates like prophecy in a sense. Like how could you have that kind of knowledge? And this gift used to freak me out because especially when I was maybe hanging out with people who were really kind of exploring spiritual gifts and everything and seeking, to, to seeking the Holy Spirit, I'd be like, what if they have some sort of knowledge of something that I'm thinking about and then they're gonna like reveal it and then I'm gonna, you know, and, and then what would happen is all these weird thoughts would come into my mind and then I'd get all nervous and freaked out. Somebody's gonna know what I'm thinking, oh my goodness, and then they're gonna know that I'm a really bad person. No. What are gifts for? They're for the edification of the church. Yeah, Ananias and Sapphira, yeah, they were called out in their sin and words of knowledge can be used in that way. In fact, there was one time a youth pastor that I, that I kind of acquaintance, um, he was on a summer camp trip on a bus and he was at the front of the bus and there were some kids in the back of the bus and he was talking to somebody and he said, 
he was talking to someone, he said, hold on a minute. And he got up and he goes to the back of the bus and he says, God knows what you're doing right now and you need to stop. You know what happens in backs of buses, right? Um, and somehow he had this word of knowledge that that, that was happening. But, but it's not always to bust you in your sin, you know? It's not what words of knowledge is, are always for, though that can happen. Um, don't be nervous. <laughs> right? Just confess your sin and you'll be fine. <laughs> uh, one time I received a word of knowledge. There was this guy, I was on a missions trip and he was walking along and we were doing some street evangelism and he was looking in something and he kind of opened the lid of a trash can and I, I got this sense from the Lord, this guy is looking for something and he doesn't know that it's me. And, and then the Lord's like, you gotta go talk to him. So I go and I talk to the guy and was able to lead that guy to the Lord um, right there and then ended up praying for him. He had a back injury and we also prayed for his back and his back was healed. And so it's like, wow, a word of knowledge that led to evangelism, that led to healing and it all happened in this moment and it's amazing. Then there's the gift of faith. You guys all still good? Okay, gift of faith. Paul speaks of the gift of faith In Romans 12, 3, he says, God has allotted each a measure of faith. We all need faith. Every single Christian has faith. You're you're not saved if you don't have faith. Paul's not talking here about saving faith. He's talking about the gift of faith when God will give an extra measure of trusting God to do something. Um, I always learned what this gift was by what Peter and John did at the beautiful gate. You guys remember when they're walking by and make eye contact with the man who was sitting there and, and asking for alms, right? And he, he said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Now, what was the gift of faith part? The gift of faith was when Peter reached out, grabbed the guy by his hand and pulled the crippled man to his feet, having faith, believing that God was gonna make the guy walk. See, could you imagine that? Having the gift of faith, you go up to somebody in a wheelchair and it's like, and you just pull them out of their chair and then they drop to the ground. Like, nobody should just go to a crippled person and lift them up to their feet and then they fall down. Like, don't do that. But there's times when God will give this gift of faith where you know that you know because God has shown you that he's gonna heal somebody, and, but the faith comes when you have to actually go and do it. The gift of faith comes when you actually have to go talk to the person, when you actually gotta go pray for the person, when you actually gotta move your family across, you know, to a city during a pandemic. Like, that required faith, you guys, you know? And so, like, God gives you this measure of faith to do something, and then you still have to do it. In all the gifts, you still have to do it. We don't just, like, go into this, come and then God takes over and he does it. You still have to participate with God and operate in it. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, that's the gift of faith. Next one is the gifts of healing. I've already mentioned some healing. Um, I love that healing sometimes happens you can't pin Jesus down on any one method of healing. Sometimes he, you know, hawked loogies into his hand and then touched people's eyes. Um, mixing mud, all kinds of things, right? He, he did many different types of healings. Even in healings, 
you know, we need to do everything that we can do, and then God does what only he can do. They had to fill up the pots of water, but only he could turn it into wine. So we still have to participate with God, and we participate with God in gifts of healing when we actually pray for healing. Now, in scriptures, we see that Jesus miraculously healed people. The apostles healed people. James says in his letter that if anyone is sick, let him come to the elders to be anointed with oil that they may be healed. In that bin over there and in that bin over there, we have bottles of oil. And if anyone is ever sick or needs prayer for healing, we have oil. We love to pray and anoint with oil. I want to use that oil, by the way. So happy to pray for you anytime. Um, Notice that it says gifts of healings. Because I'm of the conviction, I believe, that there are not healers. Um, You don't see that as an office in the New Testament. What you see is it's called gifts of healings, meaning that it's actually, it's, it's in the plural. Do you see that? Gifts of healings? Because each healing is a gift. And whether the healing is given through you praying for somebody or the the gift is received by you receiving it through prayer, right? It's, it's gifts of healing. Now, I've prayed for people to be healed. Many people I've prayed for to be healed. And I've seen the Lord supernaturally heal a few people. But there's many people that I've prayed for who have not been healed because I don't believe that God will heal every single time I pray. It's according to his will He apportions gifts according to his will, meaning he apportions gifts of healing according to his will. Um, One healing that happened that was amazing was my wife had food allergies. And one night we were eating goat cheese pizza. It was gross. (laughs) Because she couldn't eat cheese. She had a dairy allergy. And she was also allergic to onion. And that night at dinner, I was like kind of frustrated we were eating goat cheese pizza. And I just said, Lord, we we prayed a prayer. We said, Lord Jesus, would you heal Leah of these food allergies? Well, that next day, it was a weekend. I was gone, I think, on a youth trip. And my wife went to a Rusty's Pizza Parlor in Santa Barbara, which required faith to go and test this. And she went and she ordered herself a huge pepperoni pizza. She ate the whole thing. (laughs) Like, she just, like, (laughs) went to town. And she was really worried that she's gonna get sick, and she was like, but Daniel's not here, so I'll just, I'll just, you know, bear through it. She was fine. So she went and got a milkshake. <laughs> and then she's like chopping onions in the kitchen. And God healed her. And ever since then, she hasn't had these food allergies anymore. However, my son has food allergies. He's allergic to peanuts, He's allergic to eggs. He's allergic to dogs. I'm allergic to dogs. We hate dogs in our family. Um, But it's like, you know, God heals the very simplest things. Sorry, I don't hate dogs. I'm just kidding. I also like the red onion. Um, (laughs) Is that healings, I love the laughter because sometimes we talk about healings and people get all like, Oh my, like tense. Why would we think about the great physician who loves to heal people as though that's something like we gotta be worried about, does this happen, does this not happen? 
And of course we don't go into hospitals and clear out hospitals. People die all the time. I got another story of a healing for you. One time we prayed for a girl who had arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis. She had holes in her bones. And we prayed for her healing and she went to the, to the doctor after summer camp to go see if she had been healed. And the doctor says, I have no answer for this, but those holes that were in your bones, they're filled. They're, your bones are whole again. And she went into remission. And then, a couple years later, God did a lot of amazing things in that girl's life that next couple years. She had a bad reaction to some toothpaste. She went back to the doctor and she was back in her arthritis. You know, Lazarus was raised from the dead, but Lazarus died again. We are all going to, at some point, get sick or die and it's going to happen, but sometimes God will supernaturally heal a person and he does it according to his will. Paul wasn't able to heal himself. Timothy got sick a lot and drank a little wine for his stomach ailment. Luke was also a physician who certainly used his medical care along with the miraculous healings that God did through the apostles because the Lord uses doctors. The Lord uses medicine, but the Lord can also supernaturally heal through the great physician. Sickness is always going to happen, but sometimes healings happen. Something as small as Peter healing the fever of uh, Peter's mother-in-law, and she got up and served him, to something so big as raising Lazarus from the dead. Right? Amen? That's healings. Then there's workings of miracles. This is sort of a big general supernatural event where God will change or suspend natural laws because he's the God of it and he can do that and bring about a miraculous moment for his purposes. Um, in general, what a working of a miracle is is when God allows for the natural law, which he orders um, to be suspended in order for an extraordinary act of God to happen. And God can do that because he's God. Amen? Amen. The next one is prophecy. Now, prophecy is probably one of the most misunderstood gifts of the Holy Spirit along with tongues. That is why Paul devoted an entire chapter of it in chapter 14. Um, but prophecy is to be desired and not despised, we learned. In fact, go to 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Because prophecy is this New Testament gift that um, really what it does is it, is it convinces people to worship God. And I wish I could just do a, I could do an entire study on prophecy, but I'm just gonna give you a few points from a teaching I did. I'm just gonna give you like the bullet points. You ready? Prophecy is to be desired and not despised. Old Testament prophecy differs from New Testament prophecy. The reason why Old Testament prophets used to get stoned if they got it wrong. New Testament prophets, if you get it wrong, it's a grace gift which means that it's, it's a grace gift. You also receive grace if something doesn't go exactly right. Um, New Testament prophecy can be both f 
foretelling, telling of like the future, or forth telling, telling something that's already revealed in a powerful way. Prophecy is for edification, for exhortation, and for comfort, meaning that um, if anyone ever stands up and says, I have a word from the Lord, and then it's bringing condemnation and judgment upon the church, it's not a, pro- it's not a prophecy. In the biblical sense of a New Testament prophecy, it's for edification, exhortation, and comfort. Prophecy needs to be tested and practiced with order. That's why if you want to study 1 Corinthians 14, and then lastly, prophecy convinces people to worship God. Let me explain what prophecy is for just in the simplest way that I can explain it. It happens when God will spontaneously bring something to your mind that then you will have to choose to speak it, believing that it has come from God for the benefit of the church. And you also know that by choosing to speak it, it's going to be tested, that it has to be in alignment with the word of God because the Holy Spirit will not contradict scriptures. So if a spontaneous thought comes to your mind and if it's in alignment with the scriptures, you choose to speak it and if you speak it and you find out that somebody gets edified, somebody gets exhorted, somebody gets comforted, then perhaps you just gave a prophecy. And prophecy can be embedded within all, in many of the gifts, for instance, there are times when a preacher can be preaching and they are, there's prophecy happening in their preaching. Have you ever had the time when the preacher's like reading your mail? Maybe that preacher is using that gift of prophecy. When a spontaneous thought comes to their mind and they choose to speak it, it's for edification, exhortation, and comfort. Make sense? Okay. Then there's the discernment of spirits. Now, the discernment of spirits is not as many people like to think that there is some New Testament gift called the gift of criticism. (laughs) Discerning of spirits is not the gift of judging whether a sermon is good or bad. (laughs) Discerning of spirit is when a person by the grace of God is able to distinguish between truths and lies, between light and darkness, between angelic and demonic, between God and the devil, between the flesh, the world, and and the devil, and they're able to give wisdom and direction for how to engage in spiritual warfare or how to engage in a course of action. See, I find that people who have the gift of discernment, I wanna be your friend. Like, I, I wanna have a relationship with people in the church as a pastor Uh, people who have the gift of discernment because it's very helpful because there's sometimes where people can walk into a room and they can just sense when God's presence is there or they can just sense when there is spiritual warfare happening in a place. And, And sometimes people don't understand this gift and they don't understand why sometimes they feel so uneasy in a particular situation or they, you know, they, they don't know how to steward that gift, but the gift of discernment is where you're able to discern what is of God and what is not of God. And when you're able to do that and you're able to speak and, and, and help shepherd the body of Christ, it's so helpful. Make sense? All right. Then there is tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Now, this is one that, again, people are often 
confused about or just don't have information about. This is why Paul spent an entire chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, lays out tongues and prophecy and it kind of weaves together instruction on these two gifts. I'm gonna give you a couple more bullet points like I did with prophecy on the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues is when, again, you speak in a language that is unintelligible to your minds, but you know that it is a language that the Holy Spirit is giving you in your spirit, and it is not speaking to man, but it is speaking to God. That is a key element for understanding the gift of tongues. It's not speaking to man, it's speaking to God. So if someone in front of you starts speaking in tongues, they're not talking to you. They're talking to God. But they're talking in a language that they have not learned. And they're talking in a way that does not profit their mind. They do not have the mental awareness of what is being said, but in their spirit, they know what they have said. They know that God knows it and that God hears it. And what I wanna add about the gift of tongues is it is the only gift that is self-edifying. It's the only gift where, where when you're doing it, it's not for the benefit of the entire body of Christ. That's why Paul says, don't speak all of you in tongues. I'd rather speak five words than to speak in tongues because it's not going to benefit the entire body unless there's the interpretation of tongues, which is another gift, which is when if the person in front of you starts speaking in tongues, they're not talking to you, they're talking to God, but what you should start praying is, Lord, would you give me the gift of interpretation of tongues so I can understand what they're saying so that there can be an interpretation so that we can all be edified from it. And guys, this gift is strange. Like, let's be honest, this book is interesting. But we believe it. And we, when we see it and we experience it in a real authentic way, it's amazing. And I, I, I hope that there would be greater clarity on the gift of tongues. And I think one of the reasons why there's not is because, as we talked about last week of the baptism with the Holy Spirit, there's been a misunderstood doctrine which is that the sure sign that you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit is that you'll speak with tongues. It's actually not. The sign that you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit is that you are a fruitful, bold, powerful witness for Jesus Christ in the world. It has nothing to do with speaking in tongues, although that gift may accompany and did accompany uh, the believers at Pentecost and, and other believers that were baptized with the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, but there's other times in the book of Acts where people were baptized with the Holy Spirit and there's no mention of the gift of tongues. And so, yes, you may speak with tongues when you are baptized with the Holy Spirit or you might receive it at a later time, but it's not the, it's not, it's not the evidence which is that erroneous teaching that people will say that unless you speak with tongues, you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. We do not believe that in this church. And it has caused abusive damage in the church because of that view. And that is why I think this gift has been put for many on the back burner. And this is why I think a lot of times what you see is people who function with the gift of tongues or the gift of prophecy end up finding themselves isolating themselves into these small groups of people and they're, 
they're like, well, how come there's no people who prophesy? How come there's no people who speak with tongues in the church? It's because a lot of the times the church pushes them out because they think that's weird. That's strange. And so there should be freedom to exercise the gift of tongues, but it needs to be done with order, and we need to be praying that there would be interpretation. I think the best place where you can speak with tongues is in your bedroom when you don't know what to pray. Have you, here, here's what I've learned from my pastor, if somebody should seek God for the gift of tongues. Um, do you ever have trouble praying where you don't have the words that can come to your mind that you want to speak, but you know that there's these prayers that you wanna pray, but you just can't formulate the words to pray them? That's when the gift of tongues becomes useful. And so, very simply, what you should do is you should say, that's kind of me, and Lord, uh, I would love to have this prayer language with you where I could speak in tongues with you, and, and, um, and then ask and see if God gives it. And if he does, he does. He apportions it according to his will. If he doesn't, then he doesn't, and it's a gift that's not for you, you know? It's just not for you, and that's Okay. You can keep asking, you can be persistent in your asking, but maybe he won't give it to you, maybe he will. But those who have tongues are not in any way spiritually superior or greater or more holy or more anointed. Has nothing to do with that. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, I've just mentioned two, maybe a couple of gifts that you would say, wait a minute, I thought that these don't exist in the church anymore. And there's a debate within the church that is categorized into these two categories, either to be a cessationist or to be a continuationist. At this church, we believe in continuationism, which is that all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are mentioned in the New Testament are in operation in the church today. And for sake of time, I can't go into that debate anymore. But if you have questions and you wanna talk about that, we can talk more. There's other gifts mentioned, the gift of serving, We saw a lot of them out there tonight. If you want to know who has the gift of serving, look back in that booth. (laughs) Right over there. See? Hi, guys. Thank you. (laughs) Right? You want to know who has the gift of serving? The guys who are just stacking chairs. Lots of them. Right? Thank you for those people who have that gift. Like, there are many gifted servants in this church. But guess what? We're all called to serve. We're all called to stack chairs. There's just some people who will stack more chairs because they love doing it and they're good at doing it because it's this supernatural, like, empowering, yeah, chairs, I love this. It's just for the body of Christ. And they serve and they serve and they serve and they do it a lot without any kind of recognition. They're the people who are first in and last out because they love to serve the body. Thank you for those who serve. There's the teaching gift. You see that function um, each week in this church um, through the pastors who teach. Um, Pastoring and teaching often goes together um, because um, pastors are called to teach. So, um, but being a teacher, James says, not many of you should be teachers for you know that you will be held to a stricter judgment. So God only apportions the gift of teaching to some, although all of us are called to teach. In the same way that all are called to serve, all are called to teach, all are called to encourage all are called to give but some people just excel in it because it's from the holy spirit 
There's the gift of exhortation. Paul, uh, Barnabas had that. He had his name changed because of it. They're the people who just come into the room and they put courage in people's hearts. There's the gift of giving. Look, all Christians are called to give. Some people just have the supernatural gift to do it. I don't have that gift. But for me, giving is a spiritual discipline that I have had to learn by the Spirit of God to be disciplined to do it, while others, it's just, just giving, 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 because the Spirit anoints it. There's the gift of administration, where people have this ability to just, by the Holy Spirit, put ducks in order. <laughs> just put, put the ducks in a row, and just like, they know how to create systems, they know how to create direction, order, flow, and it's so helpful to the body of Christ. Then we have offices in the church, apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor, teacher. These are four offices in the church. Um, apostle, there is the New Testament apostles, capital A apostles. Um, and then whether this, get, uh, this office continues in the church today is debatable. I would say if it does exist in the church today, it is more rare but it's not like the apostles of Jesus, the first disciples. It's not in the same category, I believe. But apostles will play a unique role in movement making, uh, in, in movements within church history, and uh, God uses apostles in that way. Prophets, again, I think prophets are often shunned by the church because they, they will foretell and foretell the word of God in a timely way and it affects hearers greatly, and sometimes people don't want to respond to prophets. And then there's the evangelists. These are the people who have the gift of communicating the gospel, and it's just like people just get saved when they're, they just, I, I think we talked about, you know, a guy who's like, has the gift of evangelism, and he, he evangelizes to people all the time. He's like, is this seat saved? Are you saved? And then like the person just comes to Jesus. Like, what? Like, if I tried that, it would not work, <laughs> right? But this person just, like, has this way of being able to communicate the gospel in such a tactful and unique Holy Spirit-given way where people just come to Christ all the time through this person's evangelism, and God gives that gift. Then there's the pastor's teacher, pastor teachers. This is one group um, together shepherding the flock of God, um, leading the local church, teaching the word of God, and it's, it's the role that God has given me here. Now, verse 11, he distributes all these gifts according to his will. It's entirely up to him to give the gifts. So we've gone through every gift that I've seen mentioned in the New Testament. Now you might be thinking, well, what about my gift? I didn't hear it. It wasn't in there. Look, there's question as to whether there's, for instance, worship is not mentioned as a gift in the New Testament. I was actually thinking about that this morning. Why? And I, I never thought about this before, but it might be this is because we're all called to be worshipers. But, but some people have the gift of musical worship, and, and that's a gift. So, so I think there's other things that might not be listed here that are gifts, but, but we at least have the ones that are listed, and we should look at those as our basis and he distributes them according to his will. So you all have at least one spiritual gift if you're a Christian, right? Now, 
I'm gonna pray, the worship team is gonna come up. Sorry for going long, you guys hung with me tonight. I taught for an hour plus, like almost an hour and 20 minutes. So sorry, not sorry. I wanted to inform you on spiritual gifts. If you have little ones and you gotta go now, you can go now, but we're gonna spend time in worship. We're gonna spend time praying for one another and we're gonna seek uh, the giver of the gifts. And uh, if you have a gift that you would wanna pray to receive, um, we'd love to pray with you. Amen? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for tonight. I ask that you would have informed your church a little bit more about what the gifts of the Holy Spirit are and we we would grow in our understanding and our experience of them. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen, amen. I have one last thought, sorry. Today is my son's first birthday. And, you know, he's, he's one years old. So, you know, today we gave him some gifts, you know, our, our presents to him. And so he opened up this thing and he had this new toy in front of him and he didn't know how to use it. It was like this dinosaur thing and he put the, plugs in the back of the dinosaur and he didn't know how to use it and and it's funny he'll, he'll figure out how to use his new gift that he's just been given but it's going to take time for him to learn and grow and practice using that little toy and then eventually you know he'll he'll, he'll know how to use it completely today we gave him a smash cake a, a little cake that we made for him and he didn't know what to do with it at first he dipped his finger in it and he kind of licked it and then he's like Oh, like frosting, whipped cream, and he, his face perked up. And maybe today, like, it's sort of like you, you've just realized, oh my goodness, that's it. I have that gift. You just perked, and then now you gotta like smash your hand into it and like, and dive into it and enjoy it. But, but if my son eats cake the same way he ate cake today, like five years from now, that'd be like weird. Like if I ate cake the way my son ate cake, not good. So when we learn to use our gifts, it's, it might get messy. It might be kind of not sure how to use it. But as you use it, it will grow with use. And we need to be a community of grace where the grace gifts can be in operation, where we can be able to pray for healing, where we can be able to maybe give a word of encouragement or a word of prophecy or a word of knowledge or we can, we can somebody might speak with tongues for the first time and, and we don't need to be like, what's that? But maybe we could say, let's pray for the interpretation of tongues and then we would all be edified. So let's grow in spiritual gifts but let's look to the giver of the gifts. Our Heavenly Father who loves to give the Holy Spirit when His children ask. I love giving gifts to my children. I'm excited to lavish my son this Saturday at his birthday party. So God wants to lavish gifts upon you, but I know for sure you have at least one gift. Figure out what it is and then use it in this church. Amen, church? Amen. Let's worship.